0: Hello, hello, welcome back to the Business of Fitness podcast, Molly Herford here, and I am so excited to be back, we're hitting sort of that holiday season hecticness, and I'm sure uh, if you're listening to this, you're probably like me with a to-do list that has expanded rapidly in the last week. So you know what? We are going to keep this super brief and get right into the uh, meat and potatoes, or I guess in this case, more of the, the rice and beans as we are talking about vegan-friendly Latin food for bikepacking in today's episode with Martha Diaz, uh, founder of Iticate Food. Super cool by backpacking, bikepacking, whatever you're whatever you're doing, dehydrated meals with Latin flair. Um, I absolutely loved talking about what it looks like to start a product-based business, especially one where you know you're not just figuring out all of the marketing and you know slapping some some labels on stuff. You are actively in the kitchen dehydrating and making these foods, figuring out how to make just amazing meals boil down or dehydrate down into, you know, food that you can carry along on the hike. Uh, And I did want to point out that right now Itakate actually has some great sales going on for the holidays. Uh, I think their prices are actually super reasonable for backpacking foods to begin with, but they have great sales going and free domestic shipping. So definitely worth checking out if you're just a backpacker or you're looking for presents for someone who's in that kind of space in your life. Uh, but in this episode, we are not talking about why you should buy these meals we are, or about hiking even. We are really just talking about what it looks like to start a product-based business kind of from scratch and really how to grow it, how to uh, you know, go from being a one-woman show to still being a tiny company but bringing on a lot of help. Uh, So I absolutely love this episode. I took a billion notes while we were talking and a lot of the stuff was really relevant to me, even with, you know, a tiny publishing company where I'm not necessarily binding the books myself or anything like that. But I am, you know, dealing with a lot of fulfillment and stuff like that. So it was super, super helpful to me. Uh, and before we get into it just a quick reminder we do have a survey going on just to kind of hear from you to hear what you're enjoying what you want to see in the future of this podcast uh, you know really helping us shape where the business of fitness is going so if you could do me a favor i will drop the link in the show notes i also have it over on my instagram and the business of fitness instagram that's at business.of.fitness and honestly If you're taking the survey, if you could also take two seconds to just rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, maybe share it with a friend you think would be into it, that would be super helpful. You know, we're entering, we've been doing this for a year and a half and really trying to figure out where we're going from here. So all input is super, super appreciated. All right. Thanks so much and enjoy this episode with Martha. All right. Martha, I am so excited to have you on the business of fitness. I think you're actually the first food brand that we've had on the Ooh. show. So welcome.
1: Thank huh? you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, before I ask you a billion questions, I wanted to like just kind of call out how brilliant the idea of Latin backpacking food is because I mean, we all think of rice and beans naturally when we think of like good camp mm-hmm. food, but often it's terrible. Um right. so to actually bring some like flavor to that is just genius.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And I shouldn't, I mean, I feel like this is not by any means of the imagination an original idea. I was just very privileged to be in a position where I could bring this to life. So I'm really grateful for it.
0: I love it. Okay. Well let's let's start with your origin story. I mean, how did this idea come about? Um and I know you kind of have like a a very outdoorsy background growing up and stuff, but was it the outdoorsy element or the cuisine element that coalesced in this brand starting?
1: Yeah, I think honestly, it was a perfect storm of that, the outdoorsy, like the fact that I'm an immigrant and food is just so, you know, so big. And to me, food is the biggest connector to culture, right? And so having that, those two things along with, Uh, my background in science and some experience in the in the consumer packaged goods industry like putting products out into the market so it was kind of the perfect storm of all that and then you know pandemic came sheltering in place existential crisis kind of situation like what am I doing with my life like oh wait this sounds amazing let's do this
0: We've all been there. Existential crisis to business. Yeah, makes perfect sense. (laughs) Uh, What was your background in the consumer packaging and product space before this?
1: Yeah, so my background is in environmental toxicology. And so I did a lot of like um, product safety and regulatory work, making sure that like products that were being launched into the market were safe for consumers.
0: Oh, cool, cool which I imagine really helped as you were thinking about launching this, you sort of knew all of the like what you need to actually pay attention to. Because I think a lot of people love the idea of starting any kind of food thing. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot that goes into it beyond just making the food and like now it's for sale.
1: Yeah. And I wasn't in the food space previously. um, But I think having had that regulatory background helped me just like gave, gave me the confidence to be like, okay, I can look things up and like, you know, get well acquainted with this. Um, or even like filing the trademark. I remember like, getting a quote from uh, a service that, 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 and it was like $2,000 to file your, file your trademark. And I was like, I do not have that kind of money to do this. So mm-hmm. Just like going in there and having the confidence to do that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's actually a really interesting kind of point of like, just starting a business I think we have now been kind of fed this like starting a business is free all you need is a computer mm-hmm. and the internet mm-hmm. and like magically you have like a business but mm-hmm. there are so <laughs> many of these like not hidden costs but things that you don't necessarily get told when you're you know, taking an online course that's like start your business today
1: right yeah and I think it also depends on the kind of business that you have mm-hmm. to right like a product-based business is so involved in different ways. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think every kind of industry has its nuances. For sure. But yeah, I agree with you.
0: Yeah. Okay, so talk me through, you know, it's the pandemic's going on, you're sheltering in place. Talk me through like start to not finish, but like idea to you have packages of dehydrated food that are now for sale. What what were some of like the broad stroke steps to get to this point?
1: Yeah, it came about before then. Even I mean, I hadn't. I had been wanting to start backpacking for a long time, but just like didn't. I didn't feel comfortable making that leap, and honestly, like it just seems so far fetched because it just you know the gear and like the logistics, and I didn't really know folks who were doing it. And so, um, for actually for my bachelorette celebration, one of my best friends, Sam, uh, Samantha, her roommate had taken her out on a backpacking trip and just showed her the ropes and you know told her like this is how you navigate this is the gear that you need like all of that stuff and like lend her all these things and so she felt confident enough to say to me and my group of girlfriends like hey why don't y'all come to Seattle come to the northwest and let's go on a backpacking trip and so that was such an amazing experience and it probably wasn't the best idea to go with somebody who had been once previously, <laughs> um, but now I think back like if if that roommate hadn't taught my friend Samantha, who taught us, and then now I'm bringing folks out who are first timers too. It's like this person so, that seed, right, and then mm-hmm. now it's making all these ripple effects. But anyway, going back to the story, um, yeah, we were having an amazing time backpacking, and it's you know decided to make a part of our lives, but the food just wasn't there. And when you're doing things like backpacking, that kind of activity is type to fun. So it's more fun in hindsight than maybe in the moment. And so when you're going through something hard, it's nice to have something comforting. And I remember reading an article during Shelter in Place um, from the Seattle Times ranking the best backpacking meals. And they decided that the best they said in conclusion these are the winners not because they're the best tasting but because these are nostalgic flavors to us and these are flavors that are comforting in times of you know when you're going through something hard and that just blew my mind because I didn't realize that people could have a nostalgic connection to the foods that were already available on shelf um, and that other people weren't having this discomfort with the food. Like it wasn't just like, oh, it's, you know, neutral food. It's like, oh, this is food that I never eat. Why am I eating it out here? <laughs> um, and so we were just, whenever we would go out on on backpacking trips, we would fantasize about like, oh man, wouldn't it be so cool if we had some chilaquiles right now or if we had, you know, some lentejas. Um, And so the idea stayed in the back of my mind. And when I was working in industry, I was somewhat of an intrapreneur where, you know, I was doing things within the organization to, um, I don't know, like holding brainstorming sessions to help with certain initiatives or like doing things like that. Um, So I always had a very curious mind and I was really motivated to start something once you know, shelter and place hit and my job became even more stressful than it was previously. And I found myself at this crossroads of do I continue on this path and and look for something similar? And the thought of doing that just kind of made my stomach turn. Or do I, you know, go on this other path and like create this thing that it's been sitting in the back of my head. And so yeah.
0: Okay. So I, let's talk about the cooking element of it first. How do you figure mm-hmm. out how to make these meals so they are like dehydrated and freeze-dried while still like maintaining the the good flavor? Because I mean, it's that's not like an easy task. What did the experiment not... phase look like here?
1: Yeah, yeah. So first I had looked into like what were people in the market doing already? Um, and I found that folks were either freeze-drying or dehydrating. It seemed like- dehydration was the easier way to produce the meals. And I, you know, bought a um, tabletop dehydrator and did some experiments there. Um, The flavors were just not coming through. I was getting this, like, bit of, like, a burnt aftertaste in the meals. And it just, like, I didn't want to put something out like that. Um, And so I did a lot of research, and I found, yeah, like, freeze-drying is the way to go, and it keeps the the colors, the nutrients better, it's the shelf life is longer, um, but it is more expensive and more time consuming. Uh, but the biggest thing, like the biggest upside to me beyond like, obviously keeping the flavors with the rehydration time. So when you rehydrate a meal, it's the time, you know, between like adding the water and when you can eat it. Um, it's so much shorter. So that's why a lot of our, meal, our meals have a five-minute rehydration time, whereas some meals on the market might have even a 20-minute rehydration yeah. time. And that's very
0: is, frustrating when you've gotten mm-hmm. to your campsite and it's like 7 p.m. and you're starving.
1: Yeah. yeah. And when it's cold out too, you know, like you want to have a warm meal. Mm-hmm. Um, that's so right. That By the time they
0: rehydrate, the food's already cold. I've had right. this many a time on hiking trips. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Huh. and then freeze. you're just eating, eating crunchy food <laughs> yeah yeah exactly
0: so how does freeze drying work did you have to like is that something you have to do commercially is that like a thing you can get on amazon how does
1: yes <laughs> there's a the whole there's a the whole part of the internet devoted to this because there's a lot of folks who do you know like prepping and so I found myself in in that part of the internet which was interesting. Um, oh, you don't but mean yes.
0: food prep. You mean doomsday prep? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, amazing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and man, they do. I mean, they do a lot of trial and error. Uh, so that was really interesting. Yeah, there's a company that sells. Um, it's basically that's their target demographic, and so they sell at-home freeze dryers that are fairly small. So then I started with that. Um. And yeah, when I was, it worked really well. And that was very pleasantly surprised. Um, These machines are quite small. And then recently I bought a bigger one that's, you know, from a different company that's, that makes these like huge ones. But I remember when I was trying to look to see like, can somebody, can I have a third party make the product? It was really, it's been challenging because most freeze dryers, most freeze drying, um, like co-manufacturers, all they want to do is slice fruit and freeze dry it or like just do something really simple. And we're making, for example, for the chilaquiles, we make our salsa from scratch as if we were going to make it at home, but just in like huge quantities and freeze dry that and mix it with with the other ingredients. Um and so yeah, that's where like our literally our secret sauce is like making the sauce. <laughs>
0: <laughs> our secret sauce is making the sauce. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. And I think, you know, what we talked about before we hit record is what people may not realize because you've done such a fantastic job with branding and everything is that you are still making this stuff. Like you, it is still you yes. in a kitchen doing this, which is yes, amazing. How are you juggling all of these different elements of oh the goodness. business? Because like, <laughs> I'm looking behind you, you have like a lovely like screen with your background, like there's branding that goes into that. There's so much of like the you know brand story and marketing and all of that jazz on mm-hmm. top of the actual like oh right I'm making the food the packaging like everything. What the heck?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, some things I sometimes I feel like I'm not juggling it, uh, but yeah, it's been a lot. I think I started with the branding. I mean, there were before getting to a launch or the road to launch was a lot of like parallel passing of the product development, of the branding, uh, developing a marketing strategy, all of that. Um, My brother's a graphic designer. And so him and his good friend developed a lot of the branding and there was a lot of back and forth. And I knew coming from the consumer packaged goods industry, that branding is just so important because when a consumer, especially in this category of backpacking food, right, they're standing, maybe at REI or at any sports shop and they're looking at the labels, but you can't even see the food. You're just going for how like what feeling it the label evokes and mm-hmm. the descriptors. Um and so I knew one that I I wanted this to be a very culture forward brand, but also very fun and approachable. Um yeah, and then two to have that element of um delight for folks who are in culture who are like oh wow like and I've had this people you know write right in and say like wow I never thought I was going to be able to see this
0: mm-hmm. and I mean also like just completely from like a uh, just normal consumer it looks like no other like backpacking meal that I've seen not in a way that it's like so different that it's like shocking and I wouldn't think of it as backpacking Mm -hmm. food but it does just stand out so well like I can picture it on a shelf with all the other meals and be like I Mm -hmm. would go for that one like that one looks
1: thank you yeah I was yeah in my past life I had worked on products that were like really great products but then they didn't perform well on shelf because you know people have when you're scanning a shelf you have seconds right Mm -hmm. for your product to be so you looked at, so I knew I wanted something attention-grabbing and
0: <laughs> yeah, got it well,
1: resonates. Yeah,
0: yeah you, you got it. It resonates for sure. <laughs> uh, and talk to me about the name of the brand, Itacate. I'm probably still butchering the pronunciation, but I'm Yeah, sorry.
1: <laughs> no, you're very close. It's Itacate. It comes from the Nahuatl Itacato, and that's the language of the Aztecs. And it's very, a very commonly used word in central Mexico, where I'm from, or a bundle of food that you're given, you know, when you go to a gathering. When you go home, you're given this, this tequeh to go with you, and it literally means food for the journey. So it's just very literal.
0: Perfect. That's oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and okay, starting this new business, like going into this, how did you, how did you make that leap? Because I think that initial like okay I'm doing this and obviously this is something you have to pour so much time into it's not like oh this can just be like a very casual side hustle this is right very clearly a huge thing um how did you know when you were like ready to do it or like what gave you the the oomph to to make that jump (laughs) it it
1: was I don't know I, I think during shelter in place when after I quit my job and I gave myself a month to just just chill, just like stop and not not say not not do anything, but just like heal from my experiences and all of that. and I found myself going outdoors almost every day, and I realized if I didn't have the outdoors as a resource in my life, like how I don't know that I would have been able to get through like so many things um. Mm-hmm and i can't imagine other folks you know going through hard times or even just like in their day to day lives like not not being cognizant that the outdoors is a resource for them as well and so i want the outdoors to be more inclusive and i'm really much you know inspired by the work that organizations like latino outdoors like outdoor afro are doing and have been doing for a long time, Latinos just had their 10-year anniversary. And so I wanted to be part of that movement. And I thought, like, what better way than to do it through food? And I started thinking of like, okay, what are my skills? Um, and what are my passions? And it just kind of created <laughs> the perfect job and the perfect I, you know, company for me. And of like
0: jumped into that. I love it. I love it. And actually I hadn't written this down, but as I was looking through your whole website, one thing I was like very surprised by was actually the affordability of your meals Mm. Um, compared to a lot of the ones that I see on the shelves and stuff. Like has that been like an important thing for you to keep the, the prices? I mean, it is like it's small. It's I'm gonna say gourmet. This is gourmet mm. backpacking <laughs> food here. You know, we're we're and making quality. the sauce ourselves. Um you know, is that like an important part for you to actually keep it where it is still in that like accessible space?
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, pricing was one of the hardest things I
0: can imagine,
1: yeah. I mean, I have especially coming from, you know, from an immigrant background, I think it's just so hard sometimes to like ask for what you need um and but the price I mean I I, yeah it was really hard but I needed to set a price that I think was accessible but that still would allow us to grow
0: yeah it's so hard to find like exactly where that balance point is Mm -hmm. for sure Mm -hmm. Um, and I think to your point being an immigrant and I'd say being a woman it's very Mm -hmm. like it's even harder to to you know ask for, for what you're worth. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and okay. You know, you're entering this outdoors space, which like, let's be honest is largely white and male. Um, you know, how has it been? (laughs) What what has your experience been like here? You know,
1: it's interesting that you asked that because my experience has been really positive in the outdoor industry only one percent of outdoor founders are people of color which is like even lower than on the participation side which is already very low um but early on in my journey i joined um rei launched this initiative called path ahead ventures and they had an accelerator program or they still have it and i was part of the first cohort and it's for bipoc entrepreneurs in the outdoor industry and so I joined that cohort. And through that and through uh, the founded outdoors community as well, I've just been able to surround myself with like really supportive folks. And because there are such so few of us in the industry, we're all really tight. And so it's it just it really does feel like family, and we all support each other and do like giveaways together and things like that. Um, and one of my friends, the founder of Friday Outdoors, uh, Malloy, was saying, The other day like (laughs) she was saying like y'all spoiled me because I'm just used to being in this space you know around other BIPOC folks in the outdoor industry and then sometimes stepping away from that it's like a little bit jarring but knowing that we have all that support is just amazing and REI has been so so supportive.
0: That's awesome. Okay. How did you find out about the RAI initiative? Was this just like Googling around? Did someone tell you just because I think a lot of people like don't even yes. think to look for opportunities like this.
1: Right. Um, it was when I started working on Itacate, it was a pretty lonely journey, especially as a solopreneur and coming from a large company to just like being on all these teams and things. Like it was a big, like, like deaf, deaf, deafening silence <laughs> going from <laughs> that to just working by myself. And so I just started networking a lot um, and just making time to reach out to folks for like 30 minute informational chats about how they had built their businesses or like the outdoor industry in general. And because I had planted those seeds once um, once the, the accelerator application came out, multiple people reached out to me to tell me that it was that it was available and that I should apply to it so I love that it was very it's really amazing
0: yeah it sounds like kind of one of the the big takeaways there is like let people know what you're doing <laughs>
1: Yeah, and you know that was hard too because it's so hard. When I started working on it, I'm like, am I gonna be able to do this? Like, I don't want to tell people. <laughs> I don't want to tell people because what if I can't do it?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but I remember I met. I went. Do, do you ever listen to a podcast called How I Built This?
0: Oh yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. So I they used to have a summit um, every year, and it was such a cool summit, and it was like all entrepreneurs. And through there, I met this guy who was working on a self-cleaning toilet seat. And it's not, it's something that I'm not really, I'm not passionate about that. Right. But because he shares his journey so well on LinkedIn, I found myself like cheering for him and just being like, so engaged (laughs) in in his success. And so I thought, like, I want to, you know, I want to be like Rob when I grow up. So I kind of like put it out there on LinkedIn, like, Hey, this is what I'm working on. And kind of like posting my progress here and there. Um, and yeah. So, and a lot of folks, you know, have been probably feel invested and hopefully feel as invested in, in Itacate as I have been in the self-cleaning toilet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Now is, um, is the toilet on the market yet? Do we know what's the, st- I know I need to know. The status. It's at a few airports now. So it's it's more like industrial. Um, oh my god, amazing! Youth. Amazing. <laughs> okay, you've said a couple times now. You mentioned at work you were more of like an entrepreneur. Now you've mentioned solopreneur.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Where do you feel like? Are, do you feel like you're still in the solopreneur space? Do you feel like you are in the entrepreneur space? Any interest in that space? Like I find, like me personally, I kind of like stop in solopreneur. That's probably my comfort zone. If I'm being honest. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm bad at managing people as it turns out um, mm. what about you <laughs> I yeah I consider myself an
1: entrepreneur I mean I feel like when you have your own business you can give yourself whatever title you want Darn right <laughs> right uh yeah entrepreneur I think I identify most with mm-hmm. I have a business loan now so I'm definitely an entrepreneur oh oh
0: yeah yep yeah, yep yeah, that takes <laughs> you up to that okay mm-hmm. talk to me about the talk to me about that like I don't need the mm-hmm. exact details of walking into the bank but like that's a scary thing. Like it's yes. one thing to, you know, just kind of use the, you know, a couple grand in your bank account or something, mm-hmm. but it's another thing to take out that loan. What, For sure. what was that like? Yeah, it was, I had to do a lot of, a lot of
1: internal talk and uh, yeah, I mean, you know what happened? I, I mean, I knew in order to get in order to be able to scale my business, because I do have this demand coming from the wholesale side that I needed to scale, right? And that I needed this bigger machine that I couldn't afford. Um, and I'm working with the SBDC coach. So in the US, the Small Business Administration has like chapters that are regional and there's free business coaching. And so my coach through there got like really pushed me to get really crisp on my finances and on my forecasting um and obviously i'm still small enough that like there's a lot of assumptions (laughs) tied to those forecasts but kind of seeing like how how quickly can i pay this loan back if i take it like what is gonna do for my business was big, um, and in my personal life, I'm really like conservative with my finances, and so the thought of taking out a loan was just like, oh no, debt is bad. But mm-hmm. in the business world, if you're taking out debt to, if you're taking out the debt to invest in your business, and your forecasts show that it's gonna grow your business, then that debt is an investment. It's not like you're spending it on.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, things that <laughs> yeah are not going to bring the money back.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I love the point you just made about the like small business coaching and stuff, because again, I think mm-hmm. a lot of people don't realize how many free resources are out there in a lot yes. of States. Uh, we have it up here too, in Canada, like so many, even just towns have stuff uh, mm-hmm. for like local entrepreneurs. I think that's yeah. so like, it sounds like you've done such a good job at like tapping into all of these different networks and really like getting that help and mentorship and taking advantage of that yeah how the hell do you have time to do that and you know as we (laughs) said before like you spent yesterday in the kitchen (laughs) you're still the one making the sauce
1: yeah I mean I still I have a couple of contractors that help me too with um with the social media and the marketing side because that's definitely not my forte and I know the things You know, I was when I was doing that, too, it was just really stretching and it was stretching me and draining me. And then I found myself too, just like in social media, like you can just get lost in it, you know, and you look up and it's been two hours and you're like, Mm -hmm. what the heck did I do? (laughs) Uh, And so then that side, you know, that's um, we go through, obviously, like we go through what content is going to go up. We schedule it ahead um we've developed brand standards things like that but now that that's you know that that now that they have like a really good um flow then I don't worry about that anymore and that's really that's really awesome then I can focus on the things that I need to focus on like Mm -hmm. the more strategic things yeah
0: yeah yeah okay as you've been doing all of the startup what has been like one of like the biggest hurdles that you've like Roadblocks that you've run into, and how did you get around it?
1: I think at the beginning, just I mean, and still like myself, my own self, and my own <laughs> perceptions and misconceptions, right? Like to take out a loan, I was like, oh my god, is that you know, is that is that a bad thing, like this and that, or like pulling the trigger even on like hiring contractors to work on social media things and Mm -hmm. um yeah but just leaning on my community has been really great and honestly like a lot of it like even just coming up with like the meal names and like ideating on like what meals we should do next and things like that um it's been a really awesome like community effort where I've had like brains I've had brainstorming sessions and people have come together and just like Throw out ideas and yeah, that's been really special.
0: I love it. Um, and obviously a big part of what you are doing is, you know, adding in these DEI initiatives. I I know you do a lot with the uh, Juntos Outdoor Program. Talk to me mm-hmm. about the decisions to add in like these initiatives when you're still, you know, a pretty tiny business. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this is very important. So, talk to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: When I was thinking of what I wanted Itacate to be, um, I was thinking, I don't know, I wanted it to be the best version of me and my passions for outdoors connection to culture through food and DEI. And the once the DEI piece came into play, it just kind of unlocked everything for me. And I think for me, like a lot of women, I think maybe it's sometimes it's hard to advocate. For myself, but it's easy to advocate for others. And so, a big drive for the creation of Vitacate is today to diversify the backcountry menu and the, just the outdoors in general. And, you know, like I said earlier, I was inspired by the work that all these amazing organizations are doing. And so, to be able to support them at the same time um, has been really special. And you know, what's really interesting that you say, like, you're so tiny, like, why are you doing this now? (laughs) At first, I, you know, there were some folks who said, like, just don't, don't do that part yet, or stuff like that. But it has been a really awesome partnership um, to have these organizations, because I'm getting a lot back from them, too. Like, they're the ones that are, like, telling everybody about us, and it's you know, like spreading the word or like, if they have, um, a grant for food, they make sure that they get our food. So it's, it's symbiotic really.
0: Yeah. No, I love that because I think there's, there's sort of two really important points here. Point number one being, yeah, like it actually is a really smart business decision. Like it's, while it is like, obviously the very like positives of giving back, it's also mm-hmm. really good for business. Um, it's the same thing I did with my my small publishing company. You know, we write, we have books for getting young girls into sport. So part of my thing is like, you know, a percentage of profits goes to organizations that are doing that exact work. Um, mm-hmm. And it's important to me because like A, practicing what I preach and then B, those organizations are actually where a lot of the girls that would read the books are right yeah yeah it makes so much sense
1: yeah and i didn't come at it from that like even thinking about that it was it's just been like a really positive yeah um, result
0: yeah it turns out yeah doing doing good is good (laughs) what do you know (laughs) (laughs) who would have thought yeah (laughs) Um, no i think i think that's awesome and i do think starting with that in mind is is really important and i think you kind of alluded to it before you're exactly right. As women, it's really hard to to advocate for ourselves and, you know, set our prices high enough and all of that stuff. But if you do it with this like mindset of the more that I'm making, the more of these that I'm selling, the more I can actually mm-hmm. pour into these other organizations that yeah. I really believe in. It is yeah. so much easier yeah. to get out there and market. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, This like the prospect of the impact, I think is a really big driver. And to think like, You know, sometimes people ask like, oh, where, what do you want to be in three years and five years? And I think more of like, wouldn't it be cool to have a scholarship or wouldn't it be cool, you know, to do things like that, that I've seen modeled. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: Yeah. Yeah. And actually, so that future thinking, how much thought do you, do you put into sort of the, you know, this year versus five years versus 10 years? What's sort of your, your vibe on, on planning? Are you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm not like super type A, like, okay, these are, you know, exact numbers for the targets and all that. Um, But I do, I always, I'm a futurist, (laughs) so I'm always thinking about the future, and I can see in my mind where this is going, and that's also, like, motivating when, you know, the going gets tough. It's like, oh, I I know I can get there, Mm -hmm. Uh, I just need to get through this first. You know what I mean? And I think just like having conversations with people and like going to networking events and to trade shows and things. Mm -hmm. Um like really helps has helped to give me like a bigger picture view of what Mm -hmm. could be.
0: Okay. It sounds like you're really, really good at this networking thing. Any tips for (laughs) any tips for people who are maybe not that great at networking and find the prospect of, you know horrific
1: (laughs) no no yeah uh I yeah I the way I approach it is I don't know I think most people love to talk about themselves and their experiences and so to approach folks really with an inquisitive mind just like wanting to know about their experience and also I think it's important to lay the expectation out to be like okay this is going to be a 30 minute chat. Like, are you open to having this 30 minute chat? I'd love to hear about your experience Mm -hmm. with X and Y. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And then the conversation just Mm evolves.
0: Okay. How are you, this is like a very practical question here. How do you, uh, how do you keep track of everything? What, uh, what apps are you using? Like, I I feel like you have so many different facets that you're kind of constantly like in and out of, like, are you using GCAL? Are you using to-do lists? Like what's, how is this all staying straight in your head? Yeah, my
1: calendar. If things are not on my calendar, then they're not getting done. Or like I'm not going to a meeting if it's not on my calendar because it just there's so much going on. Um we also use Basecamp as a project management a project management tool. It's not, I don't know. It's it's what we need for now. I looked at other options for tools. Um that have, like, I don't know, they're just like a lot more built out. And I think it's too much for what we need now. And the folks who I'm working it with, they are really comfortable in Basecamp because that's what they use in their mm-hmm. full time jobs. And so then I just went with that, which has been really helpful. Um, mm-hmm. Airtable, a lot on the production side. And for my to do list, I mostly use Trello. And it's nice to just like click things off and like categorize things. Yep. Delegate. Yep. Yeah.
0: Okay. How many, how many products do you have in the lineup now? What is the the full scope here?
1: Yeah. So we have three products right now. Uh we have our charge up chilaquiles, which are by far the best sellers. Uh the campsite lentecas, it's a lentil soup. And the third one is the sunset caldo. And it's a chipotle based broth that has rice garbanzo beans and chayote squash and Ooh. we have one coming up very soon launch date tbd i think it'll be early 2024 um and then in the pipeline we have a few others that are just kind of like half developed but we just need to like
0: put mm-hmm. some effort forth yeah and right now i i believe all of your offerings are vegetarian or vegan is that right
1: yes correct so there's two vegan one vegetarian.
0: So is that purposeful or is that just by nature of what made sense?
1: Yeah, it was purposeful. Sustainability is a big tenet, um of the brand. And I just didn't, you know, I wanted to minimize our carbon footprint. And so by not having products, I think that that was like the easiest way to go. And um, yeah, it also mm-hmm. seemed like if you want me, you can add you know, you can add a piece of meat to it, whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that the future of packaged foods is plant based. And so I, I see that trend happening a lot. And so I feel like yeah. we're on the right track there. And then um, I also found out after I had made that decision and started developing the meals that if you, if I did want to have meat in the products, I would have had to have like other permits from the USDA and stuff. So I was like, oh, okay, good. I dodged that one. <laughs> yep,
0: yep. Perfect, perfect. Stay mm-hmm. that course, yeah. <laughs> yes. And okay, with, with everything you have going on, making time to continue doing any of this outdoor exploration for yourself. um, I imagine mm-hmm. like, you know, it's probably hard to fit in, but at the same time, it's market research, right? Like you kind of have yes. to make time. Yeah,
1: yeah. And honestly, like, <laughs> It's so easy to just get bogged down in work mode um, that like I have to take as much of the weekend off for the most part as I can or just like have like some semblance of balance because it's so easy to burn out. Like I, about a month ago, like I was feeling really burnt out. And so I just, you know, told my husband, like we need to just take a week off and, and go somewhere. So we went off and- did a road trip up the coast and camp and did a lot of trail running and there was the best part about it was that there was no reception no cell reception so it was just like amazing yeah and it's also been a fun like also doing backpacking trips with other folks especially um like taking out folks who are new to backpacking has been really special too
0: yeah yeah I love it. And it's all kind of in the name of like market research and product development too.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Although sometimes it does feel like, like work, you know, like, like I have to take it turn down. it off. Like, okay, this
0: is... <laughs> yeah. Like I'm not cooking for you this trip. This is your problem. Bring your own snacks.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, my social media people will be like, oh, did you, can you take this video or that picture? And then the you know, they'll be like, yeah, yeah. And then at the time I'm like, I don't want to, I just want to enjoy it.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I think the weekends is actually such an important thing because it is so tempting when you're starting something mm-hmm. new or even when something actually, you know, is gaining momentum, it's so tempting to just keep working, keep working, keep working. But I think you're exactly right. This is how you end up burned out and the whole thing shuts down. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's just one of me. So
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, before we wrap up, tell everyone where they can, where they can find you, where they can get these delicious backpacking meals, all the things.
1: Yeah. Uh, so currently our meals are on sale on our website at itacatefoods.com. Also available at garagegrowngear.com, footfeel.com. And then very soon, uh, at Death Valley National Park. Here in California uh, and then in early 2024 at a handful of REI
0: stores that's okay how did the Death Valley thing come about that's awesome
1: (laughs) yeah um there's a company called Zantera and they do they handle all the concessions for the U.S. national parks and so they were I was at a trade show called the big gear show in Colorado and REI even though you know we're done with that accelerator program or whatever because they continue to support us they rented out this like huge booth and brought out like all the shelves everything all we needed to do was bring the product and which you know like I would have never been able to exhibit at that trade show at this point point. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so I was able to meet the buyer from Zantera there and had a lovely conversation and She's excited about the meals and is bringing us on.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, before I let you go, you we've talked about trade shows a bunch or like we've kind of like they've mentioned them. Do you think it's worth even if you can't necessarily afford the booth space? Because like you say, it is prohibitively expensive to do Mm -hmm. any of these. Do you think it's Mm -hmm. worth going as like if you're in this space, just like going and having some stuff with you and just kind of like being there? Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, I went to my first trade show before I even was involved with Path Ahead Ventures with REI. <clears throat> and I remember I asked this exact question to Charlotte from Nara. I don't know if you've um spoken with them, but she said, like, yes, absolutely go network, like do all these things. And I went and I just felt like such a fish out of water, you know, like introducing myself to people and uh but it was a really great experience. Great networking, great education sessions. They're, you know, there are groups who present on um, trends, like industry trends, demographics, all of these things that those reports are so expensive to get your hands on. Um, so to be able to go and go to these sessions and see what's going on is really cool. And then you get to see also like the folks that are there are exhibiting, product that's coming the following year so then you really get to see the trends and as a small startup like we're so much more nimble than a big company right so you can you can pivot much more easily to follow mm-hmm. the trends or um get in get on that right that wave I guess
0: yeah no I think that is so valuable because I think a lot of people assume that if they can't present at a trade show or exhibit at a trade show then it's not mm-hmm. worth going but Yeah, it seems like and that way, even if you do end up exhibiting in a couple years, you've kind of been there, you know what's what, it's a little Mm -hmm. less stressful, because I imagine that, like, that sounds terrifying to me. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I remember walking around like Interbike, which is like the big cycling trade show, you know, Mm -hmm. in Vegas, when I was 23, 24 years old, and just being like, terrified because it was just so big and just so much happening and right yeah yeah <laughs> I know exactly what we're talking about yeah <laughs> okay uh so we can find that there online and Instagram where can everyone find you
1: yeah find us at itacate underscore
0: outdoors perfect Oh my gosh, Martha, thank you so much for taking the time to chat about all of these different topics in entrepreneurship and growing a grassroots business. This has been so much fun.
1: Yeah, it was so lovely to chat. Thanks for having me, Molly.
0: Thanks so much for tuning into the Business of Fitness podcast. Hopefully you got a lot from this episode and hopefully it's going to help you with your business in the fitness industry. Make sure you're following along with me over at at Molly J. Herford and at business.of.fitness over on Instagram. Keep up with Feisty over at livefeisty.com for tons of fun stuff. And of course, if you like this podcast, make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and leave us a rating and review. Thanks so much and we'll see you soon.